Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Decoding Society. This is your host, D'Angelo Starnes. Uh, today is Sunday, June 17, 2018, and it's Father's Day. And I'm joined by my co-host, our co-host, I should say, uh, Christopher Cathcart. How you doing, brother? Hey, man. Happy Father's Day to you. Okay. Yeah, same, bro. Thank you very much, man. Thank you very much, uh and that's what we're going to dive on today uh, is Father's Day uh, and, it's, and, and some permutations about uh, fathers and meaning of fatherhood and even manhood. Um, but I do, I, I, I'd, I'd be remiss to, to, uh, uh, to not say, uh, I think today's the second or third anniversary of uh, that massacre in, in uh, what was that at down in Charleston? Was that Charleston, South Carolina? The church, Dylan the church Ross? Yeah, the church. Oh, shooting. I didn't. I, yeah, Charleston. I didn't know it was the anniversary. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it yeah, seemed like yeah, it, it seems like a long time ago, and just it, and just yesterday at the same time for some reason. Yeah, you know that's weird how that happens. You're right. You're right. So. Uh, uh, Condolences once again. How many years? How many years? Two or three. But uh, what's this? Is 2018? Yeah, maybe, maybe three. Yes, Let me look that the, up. The, um, 2015. So it's the third anniversary. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought yeah, that so, up. I mean, that, that's a very that, that's a very significant date. I, I did not realize it was the third anniversary. I knew it happened around summertime, but I couldn't remember. Because I remember when 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 um, Obama gave that speech in the church, it was in the summer. I remember that because I remember when I watched it, but when it was. But I could I didn't know that. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, so so man, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Father's Day. I, the best thing I saw on Father's Day, one of the better things I should say, uh, is. I remember uh, seeing a post uh, from a sister, and she said Happy Father's Day, and she extended it to uh, uh, to all the, you know, obviously all the fathers, and then all the men who have you know acted as surrogate fathers, you know, like yourself with your uh, two big brothers, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a big boy now. My little brother's a big brother now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but you know, that's kind of like a surrogate father, though. You know, like you know, he's young. How old was he when he when you uh, first well, established he, he, the relationship? He's seventeen now. We started when he was, I think, just about to turn nine. So it's been that long. So he's going yeah, to his senior year in, in high school. But um, you know, it's it, it 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 is interesting when you talk about like surrogate dads and extensions because I'm sure you could riff on your father and we probably will and I could riff on mine. But when I, you know, when I think back to when I was a kid, like my coaches, man, my little league coaches, but they were kind of like your, they, they, they were like your dads in a micro sense, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because you, yeah. 
you you know, I had two coaches, uh, my Little League baseball coaches, Mr. Graham, I played on the Orioles. My Little League football coaches, Mr. Wilson, I played on the Vikings. I didn't realize back then that they were volunteering. You know, you never, as a mm. kid, you didn't really, that, that that time they spent with you was, you know, they got off work, right, and then they went and they spent those two hours with you after school and then game times, obviously, on the weekend. But it wasn't until I got older, I was like, these brothers, this is what they did voluntarily. You know, this wasn't a gig. I, they didn't get paid for this. And then all that time you spend with them and all those lessons you learned from them, uh, that's why I try to do assistant coaching now with the Ladera Little League here in L.A. Um, as a way to kind of honor them. You know, get I guess painted forward. That I hate to use that cliche. Um, yeah. So whenever I think about extended dads, because you you know you think about like a Big Brothers, which is a program, or you know uh, if you if you're mentored through say a hundred black men or some other organization, but you think about you know just I just think for playing sports, those guys all that time, all those lessons we learned, I learned from them, and just not me, all the hundreds of guys that played with us over the years. It just—it still—it kind of moves me, man. I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm realistic in saying that I didn't appreciate what those brothers meant to my life until later, sadly. Yeah, no, but that—that's real. That's real, and I, I do want to talk about that some more. So, yes, yeah, so that—that—that—that that, that was part of it, you know, the second fathers, the coaches. I think she mentioned coaches, uh, in-laws, uh, and she even went so far as to say uh even those fathers that were absent uh because you know even in their absence there was something about there was a lesson there uh i know um a few uh men who have uh, proclaimed and 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 then became uh better fathers because of the absence of their fathers uh you know even that absence was its own uh lesson so uh, I, I really dug uh, that expansive uh, discussion on that, and I can appreciate what you're saying about, you know, the the, the coaches. Uh, and even, like, you know, I've had, uh, when I was younger, you know, your father-in-law, and then I had girlfriends who, uh, one in particular whose father I became very close to when I came to L.A., uh, Warren Blakely, and he's, He's a, another uh, surrogate father I became, you know, over the years, learned a lot from. And some of the dads in the neighborhood, you know, you go hang out with your boys and, you know, the dads pull you aside or pull y'all aside. From right. Your, you know, you know and, 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 you know, kind of give you life lessons there too, you know. Um, I remember, well, let's not go into that. Let me, let me, uh, just give a little bit of a brief origin on the history of Father's Day because I, I looked that up. Because uh, once I I looked it up because I was wondering if there was a similar history or root as it, there was for Mother's Day, and, and as of course uh, folks that listen to this program uh, probably have heard us talk about how Mother's Day is grounded in Mother's Day for peace, and and how mothers of slain uh, soldiers uh, were uh, in the Civil War, and I believe. Yeah, and that's so. There was a mother's there was a Mother's Day march for peace, um, and and that's the origins of Mother's Day. So I wondered if there was something similar for Father's Day. And what I found out was fascinating. Um, so apparently, in the United States, at least, um, 
most accounts, and there are a few talk about, but most accounts trace it to uh, the the hard work and struggle of Miss Sonora Louise Smart Dodd of Washington, and uh, she was uh, she was moved to uh, create or have a a day set aside for Father's Day based on uh, the fact that there was a Mother's Day. And uh, she felt there should be a similar honoring uh, fathers. And this inspiration came from the fact that she was raised by a single father. Uh, and uh, who, her father had uh, died, uh, I mean, her mother had died when uh, the children were young and the father uh, raised them. And so uh, yeah. she uh, was an advocate uh, for that, uh, for Father's Day. And uh, there was uh, some struggle uh, with, uh, I can kind of read some of this, but uh, looking, a uh, quote from, this is from Father's Day Celebration, uh, dot com, uh And I looked at several sites, and this was probably the best summary, and they, they all had something similar to this. Uh, after they got past Miss uh, Dodd, uh, they talked about how it became a national holiday in the United States. And, quote, looking at the heightened popularity of Father's Day in the U.S., pre- President Woodrow Wilson approved of this idea in 1916. Uh, President Calvin, Cool- Calvin Coolidge, too, supported the idea of a National Father's Day in 1924 to establish more intimate relations between father and their children and to impress upon fathers the full measure of their obligations. That's an uh, inner quote from the president. After a protracted struggle over four decades, President Lyndon Johnson signed a presidential proclamation declaring the third Sunday of June as Father's Day in 1966. And then in 1972, President Richard Nixon established a permanent national observance of Father's Day to be held on the third Sunday of June. Oh, wow. Uh, and That's so, good history. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, me either. Yeah. And, uh, um, and Mrs. Dodd died uh, at the age of 96 in 1978. And so uh, she was honored for her contribution uh, to the holiday uh, in Spokane in 1974. So, yeah, this is a relatively uh, new holiday. And, and again, uh, in memory of a single father and uh, also, uh, you know, establishing a tradition of men uh, establishing a strong relationship with their children um, mm. and impress upon fathers the full measure of their, their obligations. So yeah, I, I found that really uh, fascinating. I, I just uh, recently discovered that doing research for today, um, which leads me to a kind of a pet peeve. I, mean, I am going to go ahead and say it, you know, because I see this stuff about, you know, uh, happy Father's Day to all the single mothers out there and, you know, I understand the sentiment, but but it's I've uh, never heard come that. On. Somebody said that. Oh man, it's popular. Happy Father's Day to like, all the single moms. It, yeah, it became it became it, it started becoming a thing. I would see it on Facebook, and then I was actually and Reggie Moore, a mutual friend of ours, actually sent me a photo of it when he saw me making a, um, a sarcastic comment about it. There's actually a card, a Father's Day card. For mothers, single mothers, but it's only in the black community. Uh, that, you know, I mean, we, 
Hey, you know, like, you, let me tell you something, know, bro. You, 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 are, you are enlightening me today. I didn't know about the origins of Father's Day. I guess I should have. And I had not heard about that, but I'm not surprised, sadly. Um, I, you know, let I, single moms have a lot of, they carry a hell of a load. And I know them a lot. I have a lot of admiration for them, but they have their day. Let the fathers have theirs, you know? There it is. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I caught a lot of, I catch flack every time I bring that up. You know, some folks have sent me direct messages uh, telling me to knock it off, but uh, I refuse to. Because, again, and, I, and it's personal for me in this sense, I was raised by a single father for most of my life. Uh, after my parents' divorce, we lived with my mother for uh, about a year and a half, and then uh, it was me, and uh, I have three brothers. It was all, all boys, so to speak. And uh, my mother was like, it's, y'all need to learn how to become men from your father. I, I can't teach you that. And uh, so uh, our father um, raised us, you know, here in Denver. Um, and so, and you know, so I would never, you know, when, so that, that, there's that, and then there's the, uh, you know, if you carry the logic out, then, you know, Mother's Day to all the single fathers out there, there was nothing motherly or feminine about my father, so he would whoop my ass if I tried to <laughs> pull that stunt if he was still alive. <laughs> so, uh, but then, let's do that, man. You know, I mean, I'm going to do this show for us to kind of, like, talk about Father's Day and, and I, you really brought some really uh, meaningful uh, things up about you know the men that you grow up with and I, I and you I don't know if you get this yet um, but I have uh, recently because uh, I've been a coach uh, as well as been at all my son's games and and I see the same some of the similar reverence for me uh, when I see his buddies. They see me as a grown man, as my friends had, because my father was my football coach. Uh, as oh, as, cool. as a lot of the, a lot of my teammates from back then had for my father. I mean, they they always brought him up uh, in the same kind of way that you you talked about your coaches uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, so uh, you know, you have a, a your father has a special history. I think that folks should be shared. That should, should be shared with everybody. So, you know, why don't you dime a little bit about your father, not dime about mine. And the influence. Oh, my dad? My, yeah. Well, you know, the, the the interesting thing is that um, my mother passed when I was very young. She passed when I was um, eight. I was going into my ninth birthday. So I was essentially, me and my sister were raised, you know, through extended families. I'm not going to say just my dad. But, you know, when I was, I guess, eight, my sister was 13. 12 going on 13, I believe, There's, we lost our mom. So, you know, our dad became a single parent. And I, I never really took into consideration how tough that was for him, you know, because um, it seemed like the mechanisms of society are geared to help the mothers. I, mean, I don't want to sound uh, – I don't want to play one against the other, but I, sure. I, I, I believe there are more social services and support networks for moms who have to carry that load than say for dads, particularly from an emotional standpoint. You know, as a kid, you don't yeah. really, you can't really put yourself in his shoes. But as I got older, and I guess my when my mother passed, my father was thirty four or something. So I try to put myself into the context of being 
when I was 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, where my head was, if I was able to raise two kids by myself, man, I, I just don't, I don't believe I would have had what it took when I was 30 or 31, 32, 33 or whatever to, to raise two kids. So my, you know, I had to, I had to later on in life look back retrospectively and see, put myself in his shoes. Cause you know, you get mad, dad didn't do this and dad didn't do that. And why didn't he say these things or those things? And then you get older and you'd be like, you know, you get to be 40, 50 years old, you realize how much you still don't know. You know, we assume yeah. everybody older knew everything. And then, you know, and then, and then just the, the, the political outlook, uh, outlook that I have, I know the seed was planted by my father. My father's in the nation of Islam, joined the nation under Malcolm X, um, I guess in 60, I believe. And was ah. in the nation off and on over those years. And so, you know, I, you know, my mother was a Christian. My father was in the nation, so I got kind of both sides of the ledger. I remember going both to the mosque and the Sunday school, if you could believe that. <laughs> wow. So I was, wow. and I remember, and I, but I remember that that the sensibilities that my father had through his black nationalist outlook. We had books about slavery and civil rights in the house, and I, I wouldn't even read them. D. I would just flip through them and look at pictures, right? And I remember looking at the pictures of old uh-huh. pictures. Of, remember those pictures from like the. 1800s showing like uh, black people being whipped. Remember those drawings? They, they, they were like from that oh, era, yeah. the Congress during that time. So I remember those pictures. I remember pictures of the Sphinx. I remember pictures of the pyramids. And so those those seeds were planted. So when I got older, I always said that my father planted the seeds and they were fertilized at Howard University. But yeah, the, I always like that my political outlook. I can draw a straight line to him because even now. Brother Wally goes by in South Carolina. He's a um, very active community, very recognized and admired, well beyond our family, um, to how he mentors people, how he helps people. He speaks at churches. He brings people on our farm to teach them about, you know, giving back to the community by growing. And, you know, what you put in the ground, you get out of it. And I, I know that my outlook on life and how I feel about things politically and socially comes from him. And, and these were never like um, – you know, you always think somebody has to say something profound to you. No, it was just example. It was just you know you you just you just hold yourself up and how you conduct yourself and the things you your children will see those things. Your son saw the things that you did. You didn't have to say do this or don't do that. It was through your active and examples, just through living your life. And I I always admire and love my father for that because I don't have a lot of stories about I don't have things he sent me down. He said, son, do this, don't do that, do the right thing. It was through example. And um, that's how I've tried to live my life. You know, it's like, you know, when I work with young people, they will probably respond more to how you conduct and carry yourself than anything you would ever say. And I, I know I, I, I take that kind of lesson directly from my dad. And, and really quick on my grandfather, his father, you know, interesting thing, he, you know, old brothers, brothers in the South, if you remember back in the day, what we would remember, we can recall through history, a lot of them weren't home a lot because they had to work all the time. Or they had to go far away to mm. Right. Oftentimes, right. I, mean, I, 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 dude, I don't remember I, I, my grandfather. I only remember seeing him working, eating, and sleeping. That was it. it wasn't, mm. That's what he did. If he wasn't sleep, he was working. I see him at the kitchen table eating. He may say hi. Say he hi. take a he take a nap, man. He get back to work. So that's deep. Nah, that's that's deep. Think about, that's, think about all the brothers and the think about all the fathers and the the black fathers in the South in the the early nineteen hundreds, the twenties and thirties, who had to go share crops and maybe go to yeah. other towns to make money and didn't even spend a lot of time around their homes. 
Yeah. You know, you know that that that's such a good uh, uh, story you just told. I, you know, because that that kind of gets that gets lost. It's, it's because popular lore, uh, you know, and it's kind of recent is the absent black father, right? So uh, at least that's what you hear a lot about. You know, when you know Obama would talk on Father's Day, he often talked about. He, you never heard him talk about the fathers that went through what you just described your grandfather went through or, or that my grandfather went through or our grandfather's grandfathers went through. Uh, you, you often heard him talk about, uh, you know, absent fathers. And, and, you know, that should be addressed. But there's an emphasis on absent black fathers, and, 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 and that's not enough to me, at least, um, about the outstanding example that that uh, many black fathers, black grandfathers, provide uh, for society and our and, and our families, uh, particularly when you think about what we go through in the United States, you know, with black men being targeted, uh, you know, and for violence as a result of, of racial racist violence. Um, and and the impact that that has on one's psyche and the psyche of, of one's family. Uh, I was watching a show last night, uh, and I'm just supposing this image. You know, uh, lately you hear a lot of talk about you know rising inequality, and 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 there's a, a great book called The Color of Wealth, and it talks about generational wealth and how how much wealth is actually passed down through white families. And the lack of wealth right. is passed down through through you know non-white families, and when you we juxtapose like you know the, the 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 image and the history of black men sharecropping and what that really and what that means and how that's just barely scratching at survival, versus you know the the, the white families that were you know getting wealthy off of that and are able to pass that down. No, what we're passed down is, I'm not saying we're passed down this pain, we are, but we're passed down strength. You know what I mean? Like you said, you're passed down strength through example, to keep pushing, to be more creative about your push. And uh, so I, I think, you know, when you think about those two realities, uh, there's a lot to be said for black fathers uh, that's not said. Yeah. You know, and and that's not emphasized over the absence black father. You know, and I'm again not condoning any black father that chose not to be a part of his children's lives uh, at all. Uh, but you know, right. this is a celebration of fathers, so let's talk about that a little bit. You know, so well, let me. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I had a similar. I mean, I, I, but ahead, I, ahead, I, I think back to um, no, like before black migration, before before the black. Exodus where black people left the South and went to you know, Chicago and Detroit and New York and New Jersey and the those who came all the way out to L.A. Most of our people were concentrated in the South. So you figure black men in the South um, had large families, more or less, because a lot of them had to work land. Uh, they, they, I mean, the, the, the things they had to do to, to sustain their families often gets overlooked. Like I said, the sharecropping, to having to go mm-hmm. several towns over from where they lived to work. Uh, even when the black migration started, there was a lot of black fathers who went to these other cities for work. 
to went to, to Chicago for work, who came out to the shipyards in L.A. for work, and then later sent for their families, and other families came. So th- those type of sacrifices of black men who were absent but present, if you know what I mean, they were absent because they had to get the money to take care of their family. And there wasn't a lot of yeah, options for black men in the South to, you know, to, to go to school or to do these other things. And so I, I think what often gets lost when we talk about the absent, you know, I, I hate when I hear on, some of these talk shows, they talk about the problems of the black community can be traced to the fact that these single moms and the, the black men aren't responsible. But there's no discussion about the history of separating black men from their families through, you know, social and economic situations and or the penal system. Uh, it's not just that black men have babies and then just go away. Just, I mean, there are those who do that, like you said, it's a celebration, so let's need to talk about that. But we don't talk about the history of how black, what black men have had to do, not only for their own survival, but for the survival of their families. And how oftentimes what they had to do was in juxtaposed to our idea of, you know, Ward Cleaver, going home and every day being home at 5 mm. o'clock and patting kids on the head. And father, man, I remember my father worked so I do. I remember one time in high school, I didn't see him for three weeks, only because he was at work asleep when I got up to go to school because he was working all the time. Mm. And I remember that I mean, we passed each other the steps, and I said, we both looked at each other, and I said, man, I haven't seen you in like three weeks, and we live in the same house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so imagine if it's 1922, and you live in Mississippi or South Carolina or Georgia, and you've got four or five kids to feed, and you got to go work for Mr. Johnson's uh, property, and that's two towns over. Um, I mean, I... I just think those kind of concepts of black fatherhood, of, of manhood, of responsibility, those things get lost in this whole thing about what we think about brothers in the joint and, you know, this this, this black exploitation vision of black men, you know, having lots of sex and driving long cars and stuff like that. It's, it's Those aren't the defining aspects. It's those unspoken things that our men have done and had to do that more define us, I believe. No, absolutely, man. Um you know, I had some similar uh, parallels to you. Uh, my father wasn't in the nation. He wanted to join the nation. Um, but he did get me involved in the uh, Black Panthers. He was he was, he was really admirers of the Black Panthers. And I, uh, at a young age, when we lived in Milwaukee, uh, was part of the Black Panthers Free Breakfast Program. And uh, oh, that cool. had a, a supreme impact on history uh, and, and, and image because like you said, you know, you turn on TV. When we were coming up, there was two black images on TV, Bill Cosby and, and Diane Carroll and Julie. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Star Trek. <laughs> Flip Wilson. <laughs> and, I forgot. That's right, Flip Wilson. Dressing up as what? Geraldine and shit. <laughs> I forgot about Flip Wilson. Yeah, you're right. Flip Wilson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right, so... Uh, uh, I remember I came home from school uh, talking about Abraham Lincoln and, and my father via, via some of the meetings he went to, uh, the Black Panther meetings, uh, told me that Abraham Lincoln was a fake. And uh, that kind of <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> I was like, okay, I was in search of the real history of Lincoln for a long time. And, and thank you, Lerone Bennett and other scholars who uh, who unveiled uh, some of the uh, things that my father was alluding to that my young six, five, six, seven-year-old mind couldn't comprehend at the time because at school all the teachers were talking about how great he was and he freed the slaves and and 
and all that stuff. Um, uh, yeah, man. So, uh, I, you know, one thing also, uh, and then that shaped me politically, uh, but also artistically, um, because I, when I was younger, I played the saxophone and uh, and was trying to be serious as a musician. And that was because my father had this library of jazz albums and, and other music too, but a lot of jazz. Uh, the Crusaders uh, was a favorite. Uh, Eddie Harris. Uh, you know, uh, Cannonball Adderley. I knew there was somebody else missing who was, was my father just had all their albums. Dude, I, um, let me tell you, what, I've always admired your I've always admired your appreciation for music too. It's always a, it's understated. You don't lead with that, but it's detectable. I can tell when you write certain things and post things on social media that you you have a more than casual knowledge of some of that music, and I admire that. Oh man, thank you, brother. And that's traceable to 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 my father and and I I and, and you know I could really go into what I think, you know, how I think learning music at an early age and, and listening to different kinds of music impact me. But one thing that it did do for me was I could always gauge, I used, I, I still do it, uh, but I used to do it more, I guess, obnoxiously when I was much younger. I would gauge somebody's uh, hipness, so to speak, that their, whether they were a well-rounded personality by what kind of music they listen to. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, whether I, I like that particular artist, but if a person was just a straight top 40, <laughs> if you if was top 40, if you was pop music, then that told me a lot about your personality, you know. But uh, if you listen to, you know, I was like, okay, well, I got to talk a certain way to this person. So, um uh, you know what's funny? I remember when I got to Howard, I, I didn't feel sufficiently hip because there were cats that would talk about Charles Mingus and Coltrane and mm. Led Zeppelin. And I'd be like, damn, I need to, I, I, you know, so <laughs> I, I started, I'm still not where you are. Don't get me right. I haven't even worked in the music business. I had a broad appreciation. I met Joe Sample. We talked about the Crusaders. Very nice man. God rest wow. him. But I remember, I remembered Howard having that kind of, there was a certain litmus test about, you know, certain brothers and sisters who had an expanded knowledge of certain things. And I, and I noticed that with you, because you write about certain artists in a very knowledgeable way. And I go, well, most people don't even know who they are. So, I mean, if you can, if you pick that up from your dad, then that, that's what I'm talking about, how these, these unspoken things can be handed down and, and transferred. Ah. Mm-hmm. And and that yeah. that becomes part as a father to you. That becomes part of his legacy that he's left with you. Is your father still alive? Still alive? No, he passed away about six, almost seven years ago. Oh, okay. I, I think I recall that to I be honest. I, I apologize for not remembering. So part of his legacy, among the many many things that he left you, was that kind of knowledge, which you can then share and pass on to others, your son and other people. Yeah, no, and, and, and that that that's kind of how I wanted to to get because we're getting near the end. How I kind of wanted to wrap up too was, you know, how how you know back to what you said, you know, it's this theme of what we pass along and what you say, pay it forward. Uh, I know that is. Pay it, yeah. Use, but, I mean, uh, it's, well, it's not, I hate it because it sounds it sounds trite, but it 
it's a very serious thing. You you know, if you really want to give back, then give give up. You know, give something to someone who needs it. Um, but I just hate paying for it. Sounds so trite and cliche, but it is real. I mean, you you know you like I said when I when I coach now, it's not it's as much to thank the coaches I had as it is to help the young kids. I think I can serve both masters with that. So that's what I do. And you know, I take that. I I, I grab that too. And I again, I grabbed it from my father. I watched how my father talked to uh, my friends and and the younger guys. And and then again, like I said, other fathers and how they talk to me. And I I think that's very important uh, to to pull cats aside, uh, you know, and and in a you know however way you can relate it. You know, if you can do it humorously, if you. But you're serious to, to pass along, you know, knowledge and 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 you know things to watch out for and and, and to uh, and to be careful about um, because uh, that's how we got to where we are, quite frankly, because of our fathers and these surrogate fathers. Um, so I do believe in that as well. And what they used to say: each one teach one, or each one reach one. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But didn't didn't your father play in the Negro leagues? Yeah, he, well, he played at the grandpa? tail end. So the Negro leagues especially ran, I guess, from like the twenties until thirties uh, until like the very early sixties. And you know, when Jackie Robinson crossed the color line in forty-seven, obviously the exodus from the Negro leagues of the talent went to the Major League Baseball. But a lot of the teams still survived. So my father's mentor was Joe Black, who was a Famous pitcher from my hometown, playing for New Jersey, who played for the Dodgers. First black pitcher to win a World Series game was Joe Black. Um, he he put together a team in the late fifties after he retired called the Joe Black All Stars. My father was a star pitcher on that team, and they barnstormed. They played against some of the existing Negro League teams at that time. So they played against like uh, the Newark Eagles and the, uh, the the New York Black Yankees and the, the Cuban Elite Giants and teams like that. So he. He he played among some of the remnants of some of those teams that essentially dissolved in the early 60s. So he played late 50s until like 60, 61. And so now, because there aren't not that many brothers who had any relationship to the Negro Leagues, he actually gets um, honored with some with some other really really outstanding brothers, older brothers, um, at some of these minor league games where they 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 bring in you know some of the legacy members of the Negro Leagues and they honor them and let them you know sign autographs and stuff. So he's he's very happy to be a part of that. I think that's deep, man, because, uh, I mean, you know, we're getting further and further away from that kind of history. You know, several shows back we talked about the strong connection that you and I grew up with to 1968 and the Civil Rights Movement, and I think the connection to the Negro Leagues is, is just as important, you know, to uh, – that's some serious history, you know, uh, right there. Yeah. And and you know like like my 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 overbearing commitment in life is to make things better than they were when I got them to leave something behind that helps improve people's lives and I know I get that from him because that's kind of like his mission to to make things around him better to make to help people out in ways that will be beyond just himself and I know that that that's the lesson he taught me through his examples he never said that he never said do this Chris or do that but. I know that my life commitment to those things, many things we discuss on the show, comes as a result of watching him as unspoken example of of being responsible for more than just yourself and making things better 
but more than just yourself, you know? Well, I, and I think it's important for, you know, folks like my, you and myself and then, you know, the, the young cats that, that are now my son's age uh, coming into young adulthood for us to – I was just talking about this with my son yesterday, um, how important it is for us to maintain that connection. It's like the grill you know, in the oral history, uh, in a, in a sense that, that we keep passing this along, you know, with, you know, as you get further and further away from these roots and the use of imagery, uh, on television and now on the internet, uh, it gets distorted. Um, and you know, the kind of research that people do, you know, it's not very deep. It's Wikipedia, it's not original source. It's not books, even. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people, kids are still reading, you know, actual books. And so uh, it's important for us to pass along this physical relationship to history uh, via books, via records and albums, uh, and to talk about, you know, our very real connection with those events that, you know, shape our lives. Uh, you know, I mean... You know, you grant, and, and it's important for us to pass along, you know, to the extent that our grandparents are still alive. But, and if they're not, you know, to keep that living. I mean, I just lost my last grandparent last August. Um, but oh. uh, to, to ma- maintain that connection to the next generation so that that gets passed along and to talk about how that should be passed along. It's very important right. for our history to be passed along because it, it's too distorted. I mean, like I said, you know, when we started the show, we talk about, you know, the emphasis of absence of black fathers. And, and you don't hear about what, what we've talked about most of this show, which is the strength of black fathers and what they've gone through and what they've done to shape, you know, you and I, for instance, and, and to shape, you know, black leaders of today. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad that we didn't do it. I know we discussed talking about Father's Day. There was a there was a urge in me initially to say, okay, we can we can highlight some famous people, you know, the, the famous leaders who happen to be dads. And I was like, no, you know what? Let's talk about not just even our own dads. Let's talk about all the dads who are unheralded, who who won't be names won't be remembered beyond their immediate circles and families, whose um whose names won't be written about in history books. Sadly. Um, I mean, they're really foundation. They're the, they're the backbone of all this. Even, you know, we can talk about the famous people and the leaders and the civil rights leaders and things of that nature, but it was the everyday man that, that went out there and did the things that made us who we are, not just in you and I individually, but as a community that I think we need to celebrate. So I'm happy we spent time talking about a lot of the dads who, who go unheralded, who don't, you know, like the coaches I mentioned. You know, that, 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 as much as they meant to me, but it, they represent thousands of people like that who did the same thing. So I'm yeah. glad we spent time talking about, the, the, you know, the lesser known but equally important black men. Nah, man, I, I, I'm glad it, it developed that way because that really should be the emphasis that, you know, behind all that, there's, like you said, the unheralded and the, the nameless. And you hear when some of these guys go to the Hall of Fame, the sports Cats, for instance, uh, you know they they bring them out, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Coach such and such, you know, from this, you know, shape me and whatnot. So you know, I always love when I hear that. So that said, man, uh, we're gonna wrap it up, brother. Uh, thanks a lot, and 
everybody, you can subscribe to our show. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, leave us a rating and or a review. And uh, until the next time, thank you very much, and happy Father's Day. Thank you, Brother Chris. Thank you. It was a great, great show, man. It was very emotional. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yep.